Cliffcentral.com and this is Heavy Petting with myself, Leanne Mole, every Wednesday, 10 till 11. Listen to us on podcast if you miss it or if you want to hear it again because it was that good. Okay, so today on Heavy Petting, we chat to a man who this weekend risked his life to save 25 dogs from bees, a massive swarm of bees, as tragedy struck Husky Rescue SA right here in South Africa near Lanseria. We also have the latest on Milo, the tiny Chihuahua cross who escaped onto the OR Tambo runway. Has he been found? We'll find out soon. We also feature another of the world's most intelligent dog breeds. Um, also, we chat about an alleged rhino poaching kingpin who's been reminded in custody in Pretoria. And we speak about the man who tried to smuggle 51 live turtles under his clothes. Very lumpy tracksuit pants, I tell you. Let's get right into it um, and starting off with a doggy-style story um, and not a very happy story, although it could have been a lot worse um, if it weren't for this man who we've got on the line, Ian Jones. Um, what happened was um, during during the very windy times that we had over the weekend in the Gauteng area, a huge beehive got dislodged from a tree and uh, the swarm of bees went on straight to where Husky Rescue work from. Um, and let's just say it was a tragedy and something that will be remembered forever. Ian, thank you very much for joining us. Can you hear me, Ian? I'm not picking him up there. Okay, well, let me tell you the story in the meantime. Um, so the swarm of bees came in. Um, Ian was nearby and he had to find a paramedic son of his who had clothing that he could wear, protective clothing, so that he could get into the area. It was impossible for him to get in without protective clothing as the bees were stinging madly. Um, Unfortunately, one of the dogs that he came across had already died from the bee stings. Um, Another was in a critical condition and in fact died on the way um, to uh, the vet. Two of the dogs were in a very critical condition. I believe that the one is doing a lot better now. Um, but yeah, an, an incredible story. Um, do we have Ian yet? Hello, Ian. Hi. Hey, Hi. Sorry about that, Ian. So yes, please tell us the story as, as you saw it. Um, and uh, firstly, we just want to say congratulations on saving so many of the animals that you did. It was uh, unfortunately uh, one of those things that I, I, I was sort of, um, I, I wasn't expecting to have to do, and it just became sort of an instinctive thing. Um, we, um, I got a call initially from Joanne that runs the Haven um, at about 12 o'clock on, on Sunday uh, morning to say that um, they'd been attacked by the swarm of bees and that they were literally just stuck in their cars. Um, the, the, what had happened was that there was a, a hive that had been um, in a tree on the property that had been blown down by the strong winds and it smashed on the ground and obviously that made the bees angry and um, they immediately attacked some of the dogs belonging to the owner of the property and um, uh, she went out to try and help them and then the bees turned on her and attacked her. So our immediate priority was obviously to get medical assistance to her which um, we managed to get a paramedic out um, he unfortunately was, was also allergic to bees, so we had to remove Joy to a safer place so she could be treated and she was taken off to hospital. And then we turned our attention to the, uh, to trying to get the dogs out. 
Um, initially, I went into the runs with sort of long sleeve shirt and, and, and jeans with socks tucked in so that the bees couldn't get in and a shirt over my head. But I soon realized it was not going to be enough. Um, the bees were savage to be attacking the dogs and us. Um, we were being stung all the time. Um, and uh, I managed to get, um, I sort of looked for the most seriously affected dogs, the ones that were no longer standing up and were lying down. And the first two that I got to looked to be very serious. They, they, were no, they were trying to hide away literally under the edges of their little plastic splash pools and so on, whimpering in pain. Because, I mean, when, 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 a, to, when a swarm of bees comes along, it's, you, you, it, your visibility is hampered. You've got this physical barrier and you can't see. It's very, very dark. It must have been really difficult. Yeah, the, the, the bees, yeah, the, the, it, wasn't, it wasn't really dark from the point of view. The bees were, were, were all over. They were spread over a wide area. Yeah. But, of course, as soon as one or two land on you, then they tend to sort of mass together. Um, and something I found out later that I didn't know about is once you get stung once, that bee sting um, um, emits some sort of pheromone which, which actually attracts more bees to you. And mm. so it became like a vicious circle. Um, so I managed to get the first two dogs. Um, uh, I, p- I picked up um, the first one and managed to get into my car. I was assisted by my um, daughter-in-law, who was actually a trained paramedic, who was there with my son, who, who had actually, I'd actually phoned to come and assist us. Yeah. And um, we managed to get the first two dogs out. We rushed them off to the vet, um, who'd been notified that we were going to be on the way and that they must obviously mobilize their people. And um, I went back. To, to look for the next lot, um, and again I went I went to look for the ones which were worst affected. Unfortunately, um, the two dogs which were in the run closest to where the beehive had fallen um, uh, were, were the worst. Um, Spirit, uh, unfortunately, by the time I got them, was already dead. Mm. He, he died on the scene. We, we think his throat and tongue swelled up and suffocated him. Um, his partner, Skylar, um, was alive, but in a very, very bad condition. I, I grabbed her, and we ran out. All the time, the, the bees at the time I found, they could attack my eyes, and they were actually stinging my eyes. Um, I tried to brush them off, but it, you can't carry a, a dead weight dog and, and brush them off. The what bees, were, what were you feeling off. at this stage? Were you in, in agony? <laughs> no, you, you don't feel pain. You, you, you know, you, the adrenaline drives you, and you just keep going. Let's face it, a single bee sting on its own doesn't really, uh, you know, it's, it's not painful. Um, at that stage, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just trying to help the dogs and, and get them out. And as I said, I had Taryn with me. Um, Joanne, um, who, who runs Husky Haven, uh, was also with us. But, um, you know, we realized the team was actually, the more people that got involved, the more likely we were to have an absolute disaster from a human point of view. Um, so I managed to get Skylar out. We got her to the vet. And then when I got back, um, luckily someone um, who's involved with Husky Rescue had found some of our other supporters, so a whole lot of people had arrived. Um, again, what they could actually do to practically help was very limited because without protective gear, you, you can't put yourself at risk mm. um, and go into that environment. Um, as I said, luckily my son and daughter were both paramedics and they had full fire gear in their bucky, which, which was really the saviour for us because yeah. I then said to, I then said to them, okay, Give me all your kit. I put on a full gas mask, a balaclava, a fire jacket, and everything else. And Taryn, my, my daughter-in-law, did the same. And we, made, we then went back in um, and we were able to start bringing the dogs up two by two, all the time covered in bees and, and everything else. 
and we brought the dogs out um, to my car at the gate and then ferried them up to the people waiting, um, the, the other volunteers which were waiting at a safe place up the road. Were the, and were the they dogs then ferried re- them off to the vet. Were the dogs reacting? I mean, surely they would have, they might have bitten you. It's actually very traumatic to even talk about. The poor things were, were running around. They were snapping at the bees. Oh, they were, man. like, pawing at them with their paws. Um, I, I, I can't even talk about it, to be honest. I get quite emotional. Yeah. Um, it, it really was a horrible thing to see, and, and Robert, too, could only help them two at a time. Um, you know, they were in runs, uh, uh, in pairs. Um, and so I sort of, uh, as I said, I sort of continued the process of looking for the worst affected and what... What had happened was the ones closest to the beehive were the worst, so we started evacuating them from that site. Um, the fire brigade came out. <laughs> they yeah. they sort of parked at a safe distance and sort of um, said, oh, sorry, there's nothing they can do. Oh, were um, they not wearing protective ironic. gear? <laughs> well, they had the protective gear, um, and I think uh, if there will have been there, I'm pretty sure that they, they could have. Apparently, some of the firemen were also allergic to bees, so... Possibly they were a little bit, um, um, you know, uh, reluctant to get involved. Um, we, we've done a bit of research afterwards, and we found out that um, the protocol apparently is to, to use foam, um, which the fire engines can actually produce foam to, to spray on the bees, to actually knock them down, and then enable you to, to evacuate people or dogs or whatever. So I think, in a way, there's a bit of an, an education process needed to, to assist with, um, you know, notifying emergency services even what, what the correct protocol should be. And one of our goals is going to be to, um, to actually have some sort of protocol in place, um, not only for ourselves, but to advise other people what to do in a similar situation. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what, what actually transpired is I, I, think, I realized eventually because I, I tried all sorts of things. I tried spraying myself with water thinking it would wash the bees off. Um, and, and nothing was working. In fact, the water seemed to attract them more. I think they were actually looking for the moisture. Yeah. And um, it eventually occurred to me that the, the bees were actually more swarming around me than the dogs at that stage. So I actually sort of acted like as a, a, a bit of a distraction, and I actually stayed outside of the haven on, on the road, and that enabled some of our other volunteers to get in through the back way and, um, and actually to get more of the dogs out more quickly um, doing that. So and, how many um, how many dogs were saved at the end of the day? We had we had twenty six dogs in our in our runs, um, so we managed to get all of them out. Yeah. Unfortunately, Skylar and Spirit um, passed away. They yeah. were the ones closest to it. Uh, we had a dog Dakota who was very badly stung around her face. She she's made a full recovery. She's still got some quite bad um, sores and that, but she's fine. Um, Sonic and Jasmine were two which had been they were the first two that I got to. Um, we were extremely worried about them. Sonic and Jasmine were both critical on Monday. Um, Sonic made a very remarkable recovery. He's now um, back at the Haven as of yesterday afternoon. And um, Jasmine, I just heard just this morning, just now, that um, when they went to visit her this morning, um, apparently she was up and walking around and wagging her tail. So and that's fantastic news for us. Um, she's not eating yet. Her tongue is still far too swollen. Mm. That was surprising to me. The biggest problem is that they ingested the bees. Um, okay. By snapping at the bees, trying to get them off them, they actually swallowed them. Um, uh, Jasmine's stomach was pumped twice on Sunday again on, and again on Monday. And each time, hundreds of bees are actually being pumped out of her stomach. Mm. So you can imagine the poisons that have gone into her system. Her whole throat and, and mouth is too swollen for her to eat. But we heard today that um, they probably want to send her home so she can be in a nice 
um, you know, relaxed environment and hopefully we can start getting it to eat some softer foods and that sort of thing. So it's looking like um, all the dogs are going to be fine except for the two that did pass away on yeah. Sunday. But our, our next priority really now is, is where do we go from here? Um, our immediate concern was to, to raise sufficient funds to cover the vet's bills. Yes. Um, the vets were fantastic. They worked right through the night, um, literally um, made the whole team there stabilizing all the dogs. Um, I'm pleased to say that due, due to the fantastic response, and it's been an absolutely amazing response we've had from all our supporters and people who've heard about the story from all over the world, literally, have been donating money. Um, we've had responses from corporates. I believe SMB has come on board and offered to pay the vets bill. That's fantastic. Um, so we've had a really, really good response from a financial point of view to, to cover those bills. And we, have, we can safely say we've covered those bills now, and, and that's all sorted. Obviously, any excess money raised will go towards our ongoing projects at the Haven and um, also looking at, at how we can, uh, you know, try, try and prevent this kind of thing happening in the future. Yes. Um, but, uh, sorry, Leanne, the biggest thing now that we realize is that, that the dogs are back in this environment where they've just undergone this, this huge trauma um, and they are scared. They actually are um, terrified. If, yeah. a, if a fly flies around one of them, or um, we're quite right near Lanseria Airport, if an airplane flies overhead, the dogs are cowering. Um, mm. They actually, they, they're so traumatized by what happened that they've seen their kennel mates killed, literally killed. Yeah. Um, but our priority now is we've got to get those dogs home. We've got to get them out of that haven environment and adopted. So yes. We've switched our whole emphasis from this morning. Um, we've, we've covered our financial responsibilities, um, thanks to the general support, but now we're switching to, to our, our, we've called our project Empty the Haven. We want to get all of those dogs out. We want to get them into homes and, um, and, and, and find uh, adopted homes for them. Okay, so if people go to your website, if they are interested in adopting these Huskies, they, right. they'll um, find our, all the information. www.huskyrescue.coza. Um, we're going to be putting up um, details later today on an event. We had an event planned for the 12th of October, which was going to be a, a spoiler dog at the Haven Day, um, where we come out, people would come out and, and groom the dogs and so on. But we're changing that. We're changing that into Empty the Haven Day. We we want to get people out there that are interested in adopting. Yeah. Obviously, people that are that know the husky breed and, yes. and understand the breed, um, because obviously one of the reasons we exist is because it's a very misunderstood breed. That's right. Um, but we, we want to get those people that have been so generous in supporting us now to turn their attention to helping us find homes. Um, so on the 12th of October, we'll be putting up details, um, but from 9 o'clock at the Haven, we're going to be having a sort of an, an open day, an adoption day, and we want to try and find homes for every single one of those dogs. Obviously, there's dogs waiting to come in that will replace them because there's always an, a need for, for um, you know, a rescue shelters and yeah, so of on. Course. But let's, let's, let's try and get these dogs out so they don't have to experience this trauma and uh, get them into a nice, warm, proper, um, you know, sort of home environment where they don't have to be in this place where they've experienced what they have. Ian, thank you so much for chatting to us. And as tragic as it was to lose two dogs um, and suffer injuries yourself, um, you really are a hero. And the way you've turned this around to to better um, uh, deal with this in the future and also to have the dogs adopted is just amazing. You really are a hero. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne, and thank you for giving us the time. That's Ian Jones from Husky Rescue SA um, after... A nightmare occurred uh, there over the weekend, a swarm of bees um, f- um, coming in and, and killing two of the animals and creating absolute havoc with the others.
Okay, we had uh, Justin Hartman in earlier this morning on um, on uh, Gareth's show. I forgot his name. What's his name again? Gareth. Gareth Cliff's show. And mine's Jason. And yours is Jason. What did I call you? Justin. Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start that again. We have Jason Hartman in, who was earlier on the uh, Gareth Cliff show, um, and you mentioned that you've got something really cool coming up very soon um, to help our horny friends. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's right. We're doing a march um, for rhinos and for elephants. It's a global march. I think there's about 200, uh, even more um, cities around the world um, that they're all marching together at the same time. So it's a global thing that we're all doing to get people just to to come together. And um, and uh, just walk and march and just show the world that we that we're not standing for this kind of you know this kind of thing. Yeah, we're talking about the Rhino Rally. Yeah, it's um it's actually it's got a name. I'll get it for you right now. It's the yeah. Global March for Elephants and Rhinos. Yeah. Um, you can check it out. Uh, it's got the websites, which is uh, hold on. Let me just get that right because <laughs> I want to make sure that everybody gets this thing yeah, right. It's uh, sure. March number four. Elephants and Rhinos dot org. March for Elephants and, and rhinos. Rhinos.org. Yeah, so it's going around the world, um, and I've been asked to join in with that. And it's always uh, I'm always one to, to get involved with this kind of thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and are you going to be? How are you connected musically? Are you going to be playing at the event or anything like that? No, not as as such. Um, I just want to get involved in it. And I yeah. met um, Dex Kutzer, who actually put this whole thing together a while ago, and we spoke about. Um, you know, just getting involved in that kind of thing. I've always been involved in some kind of conservation um, mission. Yes. Um, and especially with this kind of with this kind of thing. I mean, the situation out there at the moment with poaching is uh, just unbelievable. So, you know, he's put this whole thing together. He's got a whole lot of um, people endorsing it, and and we just want to show our support. You know, so that's the deal. I think everybody. I mean, Pretoria, there's Durban, all the all the cities around. Um, South Africa are getting involved, and we're all just going to be walking and showing our, you know, showing our support. Yeah, I think it's amazing, and um, I wish you lots of luck for the day. Have lots of water, and <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, we must and enjoy it. And I really hope it's, it raises awareness, which is obviously the big, the big uh, deal here. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Thanks very much, Jason Hartman, <laughs> for staying on and chatting to us. No problem. No and problem. Uh, yeah, have fun, enjoy. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, okay, we'll get back to doggy style here on Heavy Petting. Um, a story which we were all following as heavy petters um, over the last few days. Um, I'll tell you the story in case you didn't know about it. A tiny little Chihuahua cross, uh, cross Yorkie, um, who was only nine months old, his name is Milo, he escaped onto the runway at Oatambo Airport after his crate broke open. Um, his crate was either dropped by staff or it was an inferior crate, uh, whereupon Milo ran into the felt and could not be found. I mean, you can imagine a tiny little chihuahua in the expanse of OR, Interna- OR Tambo International Airport. Um, those fields are, are massive. Um, and it, it was two days before we heard any more news. Um, and you can imagine him being absolutely traumatized by the sound of the, the airplanes coming in. Um, so what happened was there was quite a bit of difficulty in trying to um, get a search warrant, believe it or not. It's considered a breach of national security if any human beings are in that airspace or floor space of the airport. Um, and the, the family were absolutely frantic trying to get this search um permit rather um to go and find him he 
he eventually was found. And this happened just yesterday afternoon after a second search took place. They found little Milo. And uh, I spoke to Milo's owner, who was um, just getting home with him after fetching him from the airport. And uh, her name is Jackie. And she said he was rubbing up and down on the sofas and rolling on the carpet as if he'd never, ever left home after this traumatic experience. So it is something that we really have to take care of when we're choosing a way to transport our pets if we're moving overseas or to Cape Town. Um, I'll be moving to Cape Town soon, and obviously it's top of mind for me um, transporting my four cats and dog. Um, and you really need to have a reputable animal transport company to help you with this. And the most important part in it is having these approved crates, which won't break open when dropped and that sort of thing. Also, the airline you choose is obviously very important. So you need to make sure you've chatted to a couple of people, found out as much stuff that you can um, before you, you, you move. Um, but speaking of this... A lost Yorkie, um, so this time not a Chihuahua Yorkie cross, but a little Yorkie, has been reunited with his owner six years after he went missing. This happened in Texas. And, uh, yeah, his little microchip eventually was scanned six years later after he was missing and has been reunited with his owner. Um, it all unfolded on American TV. You can imagine lots of drama and all the rest of it. Certainly not as much drama as when little Milo was found yesterday. Okay, um, something that I wanted to speak about as well is, speaking of airlines and dogs, KLM, the Dutch airline, has a new little airport worker, you could say, on their team, a little beagle dog who's just the cutest thing in the world, and he's part of the lost and found team. He's not finding lost dogs. He's not finding drugs or anything like that. He's finding items that you misplace at the airport. Perhaps you leave your phone on the plane. Perhaps um, a child loses their favorite fluffy toy. And what happens is his name is Sherlock, this beagle. He'll take a sniff of the phone and within minutes after being let back into the airport, he'll find the owner immediately. Let's take a listen to uh, what the story is about. Here's Jane Markham. You know that feeling you get when you've lost something in a public place and it's returned to you? It's like exhilaration combined with overwhelming relief. One airline is adding another emotion to that experience, furry affection. I'm Jen Markham on Buzz 60. Dutch airline KLM has a whole lost and found team at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam that works to reunite passengers with lost items such as smartphones. But since finding the owners isn't always easy, the airline brought in a specialist, an adorable beagle named Sherlock. Why not? If a dog's nose can tell when someone has something they shouldn't have in an airport, why can't it also tell when they're missing something? So Sherlock first gives the phone a good sniff before it's tucked in his vest and he's off to the terminal. And in no time is able to track down the owner, who of course has the biggest smile. How can you not? It's like the greatest thing in an airport ever. And the best thing about Sherlock? Unlike other working dogs, you can actually pet him. Which makes sense, because a dog this cute bringing this much good news to this many people, he's going to get hugged a lot. Buzz 60. Now you know. Pass it on. Well, um, obviously one of the most intelligent breeds in the world, the little beagle. Um, and we've been looking at the intelligence of dogs and featuring various dogs that are the most intelligent in the world. So far, we've featured number 10, which is the Australian cattle dog. In ninth place, the Rottweiler. Eighth place we spoke about last week, the Papillon. And today we reveal the seventh and sixth places. The seventh most intelligent dog in the world 
is the Labrador Retriever. Most would have put him in first place, I'm sure. Um, he's an ideal sporting and family dog, gentle and intelligent. Uh, he's in seventh place. And in sixth place, we'll take a little look at um, exactly what this breed is about. It's the Shetland Sheepdog, or Sheltie as it's called. Let's hear what Dogs 101 has to say. It may look like a little rough collie, like Lassie, but it's not. Shetland Sheepdogs, also known as Shelties, are delightful little dogs. Even though it's considered a miniature collie by a lot of people, it's actually not. It's a unique breed of its own. And the Sheltie has also been called a Lilliputian collie, a Toonie collie, a Peary dog, and a Fairy dog. And a Shetland sheepdog named Pick was the inspiration for the video game Nintendogs. Shelties are outstanding loyal companions that usually weigh under 25 pounds. And they're pretty smart, too. They actually rank 6 out of 132 when tested for intelligence. But what this dog is really famous for is its gentle herding skills. They will herd your children. They will herd you. They will herd the ducks out in the pond in your backyard. What's not to love? Except for the barking and the shedding. Shelties are not the dog for everyone because they are really a very high energy dog. History says these little dogs originally came from a tiny island. They came from the Shetland Islands off of Scotland. And while they look like miniature collies, there were other herding dogs bred into the mix to get this dog. The first outstanding feature of the Shetland Sheepdog is its beautiful long double coat. It comes in many colors. The dog's top hairs are thick, coarse, and water repellent. Traditionally, the Sheltie has a refined head resembling a long blunt wedge. They've got a, a pointy, foxy face. And they have signature small ears. The ear sticks up and the tops kind of bend over, which is cute. These are dogs that have a great bond with their people. These are the peeps. They love Sheltie so much, they have three of them. Of all my dogs, Boxer is my favorite. But the bond that 11-year-old Connor has with Foster the Sheltie is really a special one. Ever since Connor has started working with Foster, he has definitely become a lot more interactive and a lot more vocal. Foster, over. Good boy. Connor is a special needs child who suffers from hyperlexic autism. When he was just three years old, doctors gave his mother a very grim prognosis. The doctors told us he would probably never speak. Connor didn't talk or interact with people for years. In fact, five years ago, this interview with Connor never could have happened. I usually have to brush him gently. He had trouble focusing his attention for very long. All right, you ready? Yeah. Bust it. Over. Keep the leash loose. But Connor's life began to turn around when he asked his mother if he could start showing his pal Foster in the show ring. Over. Go on, Foster. He just one day asked if he could try, and I could not say no to that. In the beginning, Connor and Foster struggled. I tend to rush a little. Foster, come. Okay, not a little, but a lot. I remember one of his first shows. Poor Foster got dropped. 
Now Connor is much more skilled to get the best out of Foster. But his biggest hurdle to overcome was learning how to lose. One day, a judge told him it was okay to come in second, and that was the revelation that Connor needed. He's learning sportsmanship. He's learning to be a gracious winner and a gracious loser. He will now go to the winner and congratulate him. He'll go to the loser and tell them they did a good job. We're going to win the next competition, Ollie Foster. Now it's time for Connor to wow the judges at the Madison Heights, Virginia Community Center, where he's competing for a junior handler. If you're not first in the ring, count one, two, three, then go. Okay. Come on, Costa. Let's go. Now it's showtime. Okay, Foster's on the table. Don't panic, boy. Now the body part test. Stop. Stop. Point a hawk. Point a hawk. Good job. Connor and Foster win first place. Thank you. I won first place in junior. It feels great. Connor and Foster, it works. And they're a phenomenal team together. And so, working together, this little dynamic duo has beaten the odds. Foster has given Connor the confidence he needs to freely speak and move his body. And as for Connor, he helped Foster become a winning show dog. And that's rewarding for both of them. I love you, Foster. You're a good boy. So the Sheltie can live anywhere. But remember, they bark more than average dogs. As for health, they are one of the breeds that's more likely to get hypothyroidism. They're also prone to epilepsy. They suffer from uh, bladder cancer more than any other breed. In the grooming department, their coat will need to be brushed frequently. Because it's a double coat, it can mat, cause skin problems. The one huge drawback to a Shetland sheepdog would have to be the shedding, which is nonstop. You need to groom them, I would say, every single day, unless you want Shetland sheepdog fur all over your house. And you need to groom them where you actually lift up their coat so you can get underneath, because they have a very, very dense coat. There's a lot of fluff under there. Um, and the one thing you really, really don't want to do is shave down a Shetland Sheepdog because the coat actually serves to insulate them both from the cold weather and the warm weather. And because they're so smart, training okay. is easy. I don't know a trainer who doesn't love to train herding dogs of any type, especially Shetland Sheepdogs. There's a reason why Shetland Sheepdogs are owned and loved by so many trainers who show them in agility and other dog sports because if you want to win lots of ribbons, um, get yourself a Shetland Sheepdog. Um, they're super, super smart. You don't need to be that great of a trainer to have your dog do well in the ring. Um, and they're beautiful. Shetland Sheepdogs make a good pet for active families. Good! In general, the Shetland Sheepdog can live anywhere, but remember, they're vocal and energetic. They can have health problems like hyperthyroidism and are prone to epilepsy. They'll need regular grooming and they're easily trained. Overall, the Sheltie can be a good pet for the owner who understands what the dog is all about. You're a good girl. Yay. So, yes, there we go. The sixth most intelligent dog in the world, the Shetland Sheepdog, um, is the Sheltie, who's essentially a miniature working collie. Um, next week, we'll feature number five on the most the list of most intelligent dogs in the world. I wonder if yours is there. Let's see. Um, okay. When we come back on heavy petting, we've got uh, what's new pussycat. Um, we'll talk about if you're stressing your cat out and how to spot the signs.
Heavy petting on Cliff Central. If uh, you want to give us a call, please do. 0861 You can also message us straight to show on the WeChat official account called Cliff Central. Um, you just message directly to the show and it pops up on our screens here in the studio. So um, as we continue on heavy petting, we are on to what's new, Pussycat. And well, what is new is that you might not know that you are stressing your cat out. This is how you spot the signs. Firstly, we are stressing our cats out because we seem to treat them like dogs. We seem to expect them to behave like dogs. Um, we want them to be domesticated. We want them to be enjoy, enjoy being petted. And uh, we want them to be relaxed about sharing their living space with other animals. Well, that's all stressing your cat out. Another way to avoid stressing your cat out is don't put it on Twitter. It sounds bizarre, but more and more cats are becoming stressed because of being photographed the whole time and positioned. I mean, some of the, some of these photographs we see on Instagram, people are dressing their cats up. They're putting them at miniature furniture and taking photographs of them. Apparently, it really stresses your cat out. Um, this is all because there's a BBC documentary coming up called Cat Wars, not exactly a soothing title, um, in which the anthrozoologist John Bradshaw claims that cat owners are expecting too much of their cats. Conditions like dermatitis, which is a skin condition, and cystitis are increasingly common and are often stress-related. Pets have become social media stars. So, you know, you're living with an animal that you're expecting to be a kind of celebrity. These are the symptoms if you are this person. Frequent taking of cat selfies. Downloading of the photo app called Snapcat. Yes, it exists. The use of the hashtag, hashtag cats of Twitter. Apparently... Living in close proximity to other cats is likely to cause your cat emotional strain too. So these are some ways that you can de-stress your cat. You need to know the signs. We all know cats have very, very good poker faces. Um, they're often silent sufferers. And according to a clinical animal behaviorist, Pippa Hutchinson, um, she says generally a dog is referred because it becomes aggressive, but a stressed cat becomes withdrawn. Um, the signs of that are... The cat toileting around the house, maybe sleeping under the bed, excessive spraying, scratching, sweaty feet, um, also displacement activities. So you see it if other cats are in their garden. Um, cats don't have appeasement gestures like dogs, she says. Instead, they start licking themselves. And this isn't a sign of vanity. If an animal starts over-grooming, especially around its abdomen area, get it to the vet it is stressed. Another way is to look at your floor plan. Um, things like, is the laundry room really the best place for a litter tray? I mean, would you like to go to the toilet while your flatmate fills the washing machine? Uh, well, Hutchinson advises leaving facilities, toilet facilities, in multiple locations so that your cat can use the one that suits its mood or temperament. I kid you not. So if you live in a two-story townhouse or a house, then you put facilities on both levels. If you live um, on a one-story in a one-story flat, you put facilities in all of the corners. Even hide some behind the sofa. Give your cat some privacy. Most importantly, apparently your cat doesn't want a friend. You know, it's a classic scenario. Your cat looks a little bit down. You want to cheer it up. And so you get it a little furry friend. Cats don't like living with other cats. They're very happy by themselves. Um, a little bit late for some of us who have four Mm, I might not be speaking about myself, you never know. Um, but yeah, maybe make sure that they've each got their own facilities um, throughout the house and different play areas and that sort of thing. That really helps. 
So, yes, that wraps it up for what's new, Pussycat. Um, just going back to helping our horny friend. Um, we spoke to Jason Hartman earlier, who will be taking part in a rhino march this weekend. Um, what's big news in South Africa is that the alleged rhino poaching kingpin, Hugo Ras, who faces 21 charges, including theft, illegal possession of scheduled substances, possession of rhino horns, and transporting and sale of rhino horns, has been remanded in custody after he appeared on court in court on Monday this week. So his bail hearing has been postponed to October the 8th. We'll wait to see what happens then. He, along with a whole lot of other people, um, Warrant Officer Oestazen, uh, Joseph Wilkinson, MC Skierpers, Mandla Machahula, and Russ's brother as well, Anton, they've all been remanded in custody. They were arrested on September the 19th in a countrywide operation. They face a total of 318 charges and a conservative estimate of the 84 illegally obtained horns is said to be worth around 16 million rand. So we'll wait to see what happens there. Lots happening in Vietnam um, at Tan Son Nut International Airport in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Um, authorities found 40 kilograms of elephant tusks stashed in cashew nuts. This is apparently a new way of um, a new way of smugglers avoiding being detected by custom forces hiding things in cashew nuts. Um, so 59 pieces of African elephant tusks weighing about 40 kilograms were found hidden in a carton of cashew nuts. And apparently the tusks had gone through customs in a number of countries without being detected before they arrived in Vietnam. So the agency has seized the uh, smuggled tusks and are investigating. Also in Vietnam, a new campaign has been released with a new angle to try and tackle rhino poaching. The uh, campaign um, has the goal of persuading urban men that they don't need rhino horn to boost their self-esteem. And the launch coincided with World Rhino Day, which was on the 22nd of September. So if you have a look at the posters that they're putting up, posters of beautifully dressed women, seductive looking, and uh, headlines saying, masculinity comes from within. A man's allure and charisma come from within, not from a piece of rhino horn. It'll be interesting to see if that works. And now for... The dance of the week, another person smuggling stuff, except this wasn't anything like rhino horn or elephant tusk. These were 51 live turtles, which a man placed into his tracksuit pants. Canadian man who was um, bussed at the airport with kind of lumpy looking tracksuit pants. And uh, uh, not only that, he'd strapped them to his legs and to his groins, but he had another 200 live turtles, including the protected spotted turtle, in his bags after the uh, Canadian authorities checked his bags. Mm, not so clever, I don't think. Something very important that happened this week, in fact, just yesterday, the World Wildlife Fund released its Living Planet Report 2014, and uh, it's revealed catastrophic declines in the world's wildlife populations. If you thought it was bad, think worse. This is what happened. The Living Planet Report uh, comes out every two years. I think it was first published in 1998. It's uh, essentially a, an overview of the impact of humanity on planet Earth. Uh, an important part of that work uh, that's contained in the report is a thing called the Living Planet Index, which is the contribution that ZSL and the, the scientists at the Institute of Zoology made to this report. And it's the Living Planet Index is essentially an assessment of the trends of a, 
a large number of animal populations all across the world. So at the moment that index is based on 10,000 populations from over 3,000 species. I think for me, the, from the Living Planet report, the main standout statistic is the Living Planet Index and uh, the global index shows that there's been a decline of 52% in wildlife populations from 1970 to 2010. Now this index can also be broken down into ecosystems. We can look at freshwater, marine and terrestrial ecosystems. And when we do that, we see that the freshwater system has declined by 76%, which is much more than the other ecosystems. This means that there are roughly 25 animals present today in populations where there were 100 in 1970. Some of the species that are popular with visitors here at ZSL London Zoo, uh, we've also seen a decline in their populations in the wild. And one of those examples is the African lion, and in Ghana's Mole National Park, uh, there's been a 90% decline in that population over 40 years. The Living Planet report has highlighted that harbour seals and the European eel are in decline. And the UK and Europe conservation programme here at ZSL has two long-term monitoring projects for this species. For the European eel, we've been monitoring them since 2004, using quite simple eel traps across the Thames River Basin district. In 2011, we started our Thames Harbour Seal conservation project, which includes annual monitoring of the harbour seal in the Greater Thames estuary. This was in response to declines that some Scottish harbour seal populations had seen in recent years. So it's really important to have long-term monitoring projects for endangered species because we can then see how the populations are doing, if there's any recovery in these species or if there's any further decline. Uh, while we've seen these uh, catastrophic declines within the Living Planet Index, uh, one of the things that we've seen is that this isn't inevitable. There are various examples of uh, places that have managed to reduce their ecological footprint or to bring together politicians, businesses to work towards a more sustainable way of living. And some of the examples of where that's been successful is that red kites in the UK, for example, have gone through a really successful reintroduction program, going from being almost extinct in the wild to something like 2,000 breeding pairs, uh, something like 10% of the global population. And I think that if we can bring together the political will, the business pressure, and reduce our personal footprints, we can really move towards a place where these declines aren't inevitable. Well, we were speaking about um, intelligent dogs a little bit earlier here on Heavy Petting on Cliff Central. And uh, we know that there, there are lots of intelligent breeds out there. We know about intelligent breeds everywhere um, in, and intelligent animal species like dolphins and apes. I mean, we know the drill about clever animals. We know they exist. But there are lots of animals that are even cleverer than you think. Not everyone thinks they're pretty, but scientists know that they're very smart. This is uh, SciShow, this report from them. When people talk about smart animals, they're usually talking about your great apes, your cetaceans, sometimes parrots. Maybe crows or octopi if they're trying to be really indie. And yes, those animals are all super smart. But what about pigeons. According to a 2009 study by the University of Iowa and the National Research Center of France, pigeons can match objects according to completely abstract qualities. By pecking at a touchscreen, pigeons first of all demonstrated that they understood that two pennies were the same and that two nickels were the same and that a penny and a nickel were different and so on. These are called match-to-sample problems. Sounds simple enough, right? Then the researchers showed the pigeons multiple sets of coins and the pigeons 
understood that two pennies were similar to two nickels, and two pennies were different from a penny and a nickel. They understood that two things that are the same have sameness in common with two other things that are the same. Categorizing objects based on abstract relationships like this was once thought to be something only humans could do. Now that club has widened to include humans, great apes, and pigeons. Meanwhile, rats have demonstrated capacity for metacognition. That's the ability to think about your own thoughts. At the University of Georgia, rats were given what's called a duration discrimination test. Researchers would play them a tone, and the rats would be given options to categorize that tone as either short or long. If they got the right answer, they got a big reward. And if they got the wrong answer, they got nothing. But the rats were also given a small reward if they declined to take the test at all. If only high school were like this. Imagine going in to take your final exam and the teacher stopped you at the door and said, hey, uh, you could just walk away for a C. If you thought you could get a higher grade on your own, then go ahead and take the test. But if you're pretty sure you're going to bomb it, that C is starting to sound pretty good. It's a choice, though, that calls for the ability to know that you don't know something. And rats had no problem with that concept. When the length of the sounds got harder and harder to discriminate, they were much more likely to just decline to take the test and get their little reward. People say, I think, therefore I am. So rats are at least on the level of I think, and I want snacks. I've actually met quite a few humans whose thinking generally stops there. You probably also know that pigs are smart, but did you know that pigs will lie to and trick other pigs? Not only do pigs fly through the conventional animal intelligence tests like being able to recognize themselves in a mirror and play video games with a joystick, which I would really love watching, by the way. They should have a Let's Play channel just with pigs. They also pass the shadier measurements of animal cognition, like testing their capacity to screw each other over. First, they'd let a small pig explore the room. Once it found the food, they'd lead it out again and then bring it back in with a much bigger pig friend. The bigger pigs quickly learned to follow the smaller pigs who remembered where the food was. They'd just muscle the little pig out of the way and take all the food for themselves. So the small pigs learned to trick the big ones. They'd lead the big pigs down blind corridors or wander around the room until the bigger pigs gave up on following them or just dash off as soon as the big pig's back was turned. So pigs can be duplicitous just like us. And actually, all of these experiments essentially define intelligence as thinking like humans. But there are lots of animals that may not exhibit higher reasoning as we describe it, but are much better at certain kinds of thinking than we are. Like a honeybee's ability to make an internal map which lets it find its way straight home even if you drop it in a completely unfamiliar place, or a nutcracker's knack for remembering where it's cached up to 33 thousand nuts each year. It may turn out that animals can do many things that humans can do, just not as well, which just makes our world an exciting place to be. Thanks for watching this SciShow Dose. If you'd like to learn more about all kinds of animals, check out our partner channel Animal Wonders over at youtube.com slash animalwondersmontana. And if you want to become as smart as a pigeon or a rat or a pig, then don't forget to go to youtube.com slash SciShow and subscribe. We know that firefighters rescue cats from trees, right? We've seen that happen before. We've seen firefighters rescue dogs from um, earthquake-riddled um, cities and areas as well. But what about hamsters? Well, on Friday, a crew in Washington in the U.S. rescued four little hamsters. Here's a story from GeoBeats News. Firefighters have a history of saving all sorts of creatures. On Friday, a crew in Lacey, Washington, responded to a structure fire. They swiftly went to work putting out the flames. During the efforts, they learned a hamster family was still in the building. Like true heroes, they went inside the structure and brought the tiny creatures outdoors. The life-saving job wasn't over, however. 
The firefighters had to treat the hamsters with oxygen. They used a tiny makeshift mask to revive them. The fire chief remarked, "We have a whole aid kit we use in house fires that fits dogs and cats. We don't have anything that small, but we're pretty good at improvising." The crew used their training and knowledge from a pet emergency pocket guide to carry out the first aid methods. There were five rodents that had been pulled out of the burning building. The crew was able to save the lives of all but one. Aside from the hamsters, nobody was inside the structure at the time of the fire. Reportedly, the blaze started in a clothes dryer.、Uh, we received some、uh, messages on WeChat as well.、Um, oh, actually, no, that was for the show before. That's for Tabang. That's for the show before, right?、Oh. Please send me messages. <laughs> okay, up next on Clip Central, we've got rookies and rock stars with Jade, and I see that Mike Stopforth of Cerebra will be on the show too. Bumped in him, into him a little bit earlier, so keep listening, and、uh, we'll be back with more heavy petting next week.